0: Jared Cavan is an attorney by training, but became interested in the broader gender discourse upon reading Autoheterosexual, Attracted to Being the Other Sex, by Phil Illy in 2023. Jared became aware of the theory of autogonophilia in his early 20s, and has been particularly interested in how AGP impacts the male experience of cultivating a fulfilling, integrated life in modern society. All right, welcome back to uh, Transparency. Uh, I'm Aaron Terrell. He is Aaron Kimberly, and we are joined today by uh, Kevin, who I'm pronouncing that right, correct? Yep. Okay, Okay. awesome. Um, Who is a, um, I'm not sure if you categorize yourself as a trans person, um, but you are somebody who has um, an experience of autogynephilia, and uh, you've kind of been uh, um, shedding light on on that experience. Um, So we're happy to have you to uh, tell your story. So thanks very much for being here.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. And thank you for uh, just the work that you guys are doing in general with the podcast. I definitely have benefited from the discussions on here, in particular, the ones surrounding autogonophilia. It's been kind of like um, my own sort of evolution of understanding my own condition. So it's been enlightening for me. So thank you all for the work that you guys are putting That's out
2: That's to hear. That's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, I guess if we could just start kind of chronologically. So, you you kind of recently came to understand what you experience is autogynephilia, but obviously it's something that you've had. I'm not going to say what, like, how, how, when did the experience first start? Like, like, and how did you kind of conceptualize or how did you deal with it when you were younger? Um, and I'll kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. So, my HEP story is pretty similar to very, like, the common HEP narrative. Uh, I grew up pretty unremarkably male. Um, the way I expressed my maleness or masculinity was more of like a, um, poetic or romantic type of boy. Um, I know some HEPs kind of confuse that sensitivity for, for femininity. And so I kind of make that distinction. Like I definitely was like a sensitive, like quiet boy. Um, who was more inclined to like romanticism, but, um, I was very typical. I was really good at sports. I had male friends. Um, I don't recall the very first time I had this desire to or wish I was born female. Um, I had like a series of like uh, encounters or experiences with with femininity that left like a lasting impression on me and invoked like a very strong emotional response. Um, To give an example of that, uh, when I was younger, my mother used to wash my sister's hair on on a particular day of the week, a wash day for her. And I remember one time I was walking past the laundry room and she asked me if I wanted my hair washed too. And I seemed like that seems like a subject, but nine thing, but in my mind, I had already associated that activity with girlness or femaleness. And so um, after that experience, I got somewhat emotional about it. And I remember saying to myself, I really enjoyed having quote girl time with my mother and my sister. And not like I enjoyed hanging out. I mean, I do enjoy hanging out with them, but it was very specific to that instance. And so um, I have very similar experiences to that, like that throughout my life. Um, One of the common manifestations or expressions of AGP is uh, cross-dressing, more particularly fetish dick cross-dressing. And for those who don't know what fetish dick cross-dressing is, that's basically a male who gets sexually excited by wearing women's clothes And I don't recall the very first time I cross stressed, but um, uh, my sister and I, anyone who has a sibling would probably relate to this. Um, So when you're younger, you can be really close to your sibling and you hit your teenage years, you kind of want to individuate, you don't like your sibling. And then as you get older, you find yourself, you're you're friends again. So I say that just because this happened when my sister and I were, were young and pretty tight. And so I would. I remember like um like daring her to wear my clothes and in exchange i would wear her clothes and i made her feel like it was this wild thing for a girl to wear her brother's clothes but in reality i just want to wear her clothes and i i thought there's like this um invisible force field around femininity or girls clothes the way i can interact with with it is if i have permission from someone to like interact with it so um, we would play like that. Um, and I didn't really think too much about it. I just know that like I was a young boy, I enjoyed playing with my sister, wearing her clothes, things like that. And I don't recall which of the next two events happened first. Um, one of them, so my sister and I used to both do gymnastics together and we both swam together. So I don't recall if I was wearing her gymnast uniform or her, her bathing suit, but basically we both got dressed up and went into my parents' bedroom and that we were like dancing in front of them, just to, like as like a joke. And I think my dad got kind of like a kick out, but he was laughing like, oh, they're just being silly, whatever, but I remember the look on my mother's face when she saw me, it was like this look of terror um, as if like, what is my son doing? She's a psychiatrist and so she might have been looking at it from maybe a, a different lens, I'm not sure. And so I don't know, I don't know if I like consciously thought that like it was shameful in that instance, but I do recall that living a lasting impression on me Um, I, I have a pretty high degree of agreeableness and that's why I can never like be like a boss of a company if I just can't do that. (laughs) And so, um, the other event that happened was that, um, when I realized that there was no invisible force field around girls' clothes, my dad caught me wearing my sister's clothes outside the context of like just playing around and, uh, he spanked me for it. And I, again, like at the time, I don't know if I like, that was the very first time I had like shame about it or I thought this might not be the best thing to do but that didn't stop me from doing it i just remember at some point in my life i developed shame around it and so that kind of continued on through my adolescence and then when i um hit puberty in middle school that's when like sexuality came to the picture and that was really confusing for me for a number of reasons um because like i i had thought that all boys thought the same way as i did and they all secretly wished that they were born females. And the only reason why guys dated and married girls was because they couldn't actually have what they actually wanted, which was to be female. And obviously, I don't think that way now. But it was it it was confusing, because when I would talk to my, my guy friends, and they were telling me the things that they wanted to do physically with girls, it was that was so far removed from my experience that I just didn't quite understand what like, I couldn't quite relate to that, because I didn't I had crushes on girls, but I didn't find them like physically or sexually attractive. Um, and so so at that point in my life, I had two sexual interests. The first one was autogonophilia, imagined myself as like my favorite female athlete, pop star, or even just like the girl next door, just living her very boring life was like nice. And then the other one was pretty vanilla, like male on male, like gay sex. And so at the time, I didn't really ask myself whether or not I was, like, gay or not, because one, I had crushes on girls, and then two, I grew up in a Christian household. I went through, I attended a Christian private um, elementary field high school, and so my only sort of exposure toward gay men were very uh, eccentric, very flamboyant guys, and so that wasn't my experience, and so I thought gay was like a personality and not who you found like sexually like hot and so um so that was kind of just confusing for me for a while um but i didn't really think too much about it just because i had i again i i played sports i had friends i just sort of just did my own thing i suppose and then when i um got the i think this might have been like the end of college um beginning of law school my early 20s um i wasn't struggling per se but I definitely had a lot of what you call like, I'm not sure if I like this girl or I want to be her. And that would seem to be like the vast majority of my crushes was like, I like girls, but I just want to be them, I think. And so whenever things got a little bit more serious, I just, it was a turnoff for me to be the guy in the relationship with a girl. And so I was at home over the holidays. I think it might've been 22 or 23. And um, I was looking up like, why do I want to be oh sorry before that happened. Um I was trying to come to terms with like liking women's clothes. And so I I <laughs> I signed up for one on one of those OG websites like crossdressers.com or Susan's one of those those places. I finally got the courage to like do that. And I immediately deleted my account because I just at that time it was shattering my self-image. I just couldn't accept that part of myself. And so I think that it was that same exact Night or same trip, but I googled, like, why do I want to be female? Why do I wish I was a girl? And I came across autogonophilia and I read a little bit about it, nothing super in depth. But for anyone who doesn't know what autogonophilia is, it translates into love of oneself as a woman. Uh, it was coined by a sexologist, Ray Blanchard, who defined it as a male's propensity to be sexually aroused by the thought or image of himself as a woman. And I read that, and I was like, wow, that describes my experience like very, very well. And so now that I have a word for it. I just, I thought that was nice to, to know what was going on. <laughs> and so um, I just sort of like, I don't say I struggled with it throughout that time period up until my late 20s, early 30s, but it was always there. And I had like this low grade, maybe like high functioning depression. I wasn't quite sure what was off. Something was missing in my life. Something was lacking. And I was doing, I had just, been, I finished law school. Uh, I was, I, my career was going pretty well. Um, I was financially like stable and I just felt something was missing in my life. And so um, I started going to therapy and um, my therapist had never heard about uh, autogonophilia. So we kind of learned about it together. Um, over the course of about a year after that, um, she wrote me a letter for HRT on my HRT letter, it says gender dysphoria from autogynephilia. Um, so I didn't have any issue getting uh, medication with that diagnosis. And so it wasn't the, quite the right time to start at that particular time. I think this was 2021 or 2022. But I started um, this year and had been taking HRT for about six months or so. Um, and so um, I read Phil Illy's book and earlier this year. And I was never really interested in joining the gender, like the gender discourse, but because Phil's work helped me so much in my self-understanding, I feel like I had to at least say something when after the blue dress incident occurred. And so I just feel like, like Phil is helping people like myself. And it'd be such a shame if like people were saying like his work is like, like bonk or just not worth it or just, I don't know. I I just like, I need to say like, it helped me. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was kind of long, but yeah.
0: No, that was that was great, and yeah, that's that. I really love your motivation to get involved. That's that's really yeah honorable and just yeah really uh, uh, respectable. Because um, yeah, I entirely uh, agree. Um, you said back then that, that when you first signed up for like Susan's place or whatever it was, that it shattered your self image. What was what was your self image then versus now? Like, how was that? How was that? Or why was that so such a stark feeling of contrast?
1: It was like it was mainly because, like, I thought as like me as a person as a male, there are certain things that I just cannot do. As like, um, I guess growing up a Christian in that household and like being conservative and that—I mean, I wasn't really conservative, but like my family was—and so it was more of like, um, being the black sheep of the family and, um, just being seen as just very like different than my peers. Um And so the thought of me saying, like, accepting myself, like, okay, I enjoy wearing women's clothes. I wish I was female. It just was too hard for me to accept at the time. Um, So I had already created this or thought of myself as just a, a normal first, a normal straight dude. <laughs> so
2: Fair, fair. Circling back to, to Bill's book for, for a minute. I mean, so you had learned about Ray Blanchard's work. Where, okay. where did you first, discover that when we can uh, start there
1: i think i just i just googled um like why i want to be female back when i was like 20 i'm 33 now i was like 22 or 23 and that was the first time i read about autogynophilia and then when i started therapy um in 2020 i believe uh that's when i got more involved in like the gender ideology things like on reddit and things like that and then they brought up ray blanchard and they're saying like it's like he's a Transphobe hates trans people, so his work is not really worth considering. And so, I didn't really, I didn't really resonate with the experiences. Of a lot of obviously HSTS trans women, their dysphoria, and so I knew it was different. But I just feel like I needed to fully understand myself to before committing to something like, um, like medicalization. So,
2: and then what when you did read Phil's book, were what highlights come to mind that sort of filled in some of the detail for you that you weren't finding in in the you know like the, the studies of, that Ray was doing
1: so I had um watched a lot of Bill's interviews prior to the release of his book I believe her name is Christina and she had him on her show or her uh, podcast and I think a few other ones maybe and maybe before his book came out he was on your show as well um, so I was familiar with like his ideas, but what it really struck me was his idea. Um, I, don't, I don't think it was original to him, but AGP as like more akin to like, a sexual orientation. At least the psychology is very similar to a sexual orientation than just what people think of as a, a a fetish, so to speak. And so I didn't really have a problem with either of those ideas, but I know that the sexual orientation really spoke to me more. One thing I wanted to mention was that um, before, like when I Googled like why I wish I was human back when I was twenty twenty two, 22, it never occurred. Like objectively, it was obviously a sexual thing, but it never occurred in, in, to me that it was sexual. And what I mean by that is because there was such like a, a deep psychological, emotional, like, um, I guess, pull toward it that it just felt like there was something deeper than just like, uh pure eroticism and so i like i like it when i heard that that was very similar to a sexual orientation it's like the difference between like casual sex and like making love to someone who who you love and so there is with the latter there's like this deep need for pair bonding that goes beyond just like physicality and so for me with my sort of might say like romantic orientation it felt more like that um so he went he described it as more like a sexual orientation i felt it resonated with me a lot more
0: yeah i think this constant calling it a fetish or even a paraphilia is making people feel like they don't identify with it it's like cuz it doesn't feel mm-hmm. just just you know um like yeah distinctly or um uh, specifically, uh, sexual in nature because there's yeah that 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 deep longing um, uh, involved mm-hmm. as well. You, um, you you did something that I, I, I really uh, appreciate and I wish more people would do is you when you realized this is what was going on for you. You had uh, some friends and like uh, some close friends and family members read uh, "Men Trapped in Men's Bodies." I love that. <laughs> you want to talk about that? Like how was that received? And
1: uh, yeah, yeah. And so like I came out to my friends and family. Um, uh, as I think I think pretty sure I said I was trans at that time that was kind of the best understanding I had of myself at that particular time and my mother she's a psychiatrist and she didn't quite understand it no one everyone was surprised obviously and I think that if <laughs> if someone comes out if a male comes out as a trans woman and people are confused about it or, or surprised then you're more than likely AGP <laughs> and so my, my mother, she was trying to understand it and she thought that I had this um, either a trauma response to something in my past or I didn't, I hadn't dated enough girls to realized that that's what I was. I was I think she thought I was trying to resolve my attraction to girls by becoming feminine, um, which um, wasn't the case. And I showed her the paper by Aunt Lawrence, um, Becoming What We Love. And after she read that, she still didn't doesn't quite is not convinced by it. But my friends who read it, who I explained AGP two, they said it made a lot more sense. Um, I think maybe friends are just a little bit more accept not accepting, but they're just more open minded than your parents are because your parents like can have like an ideal of your of your of their child or how they want their life to be like. Where your friends are just you just do you. So. Yeah, like, I, reading Anne Lawrence's paper in conjunction with learning about more nuances with Phil's work definitely made me more secure in my own decision to, like, manage the condition the way that I chose to and just feel more um, confident in my decisions. So,
2: yeah. How would you say you're managing it now? How has that evolved?
1: Um, so, originally, I, uh, I thought that I was just like a a male who liked the cross-dress. And then I, once I sort of accepted that part of myself and was more active, like in sort of circles, I realized that it wasn't really about clothes for me. It was really about having a feminized or more feminine body, at least like facially and like just things like that. And so um, when I to start taking hormone replacement therapy, I would say that like I, didn't even really, I don't really think about it too much anymore. I just wake up and I like how I'm slowly changing and I don't really think about I wish I was this way or wish I was a different way that often, which is kind of ironic because maybe someone could say that the more if you think about if you feed this idea, then you're more likely to be will be like progressive in a certain way. I guess in a sense, it is kind of like it can, it can be seen as progressive but um for me the the lessening the more like obsessive thoughts about it um it was it was leaving i suppose and i don't really um it's not interfering with my day-to-day life uh, i'm not thinking about it constantly about what i what i want but i can't have and obviously i can't have everything that i want but as far as like accepting um like who i who and what i am and what my desires are how can i m- get those to a certain extent with also being still in reality of like what actually I am. So that's just kind of how I manage it.
2: I know there's a lot of, lot of differences between the homosexual experience and the AGP experience, but that one commonality that I, that I'm hearing, like you say is some of the HSTS trans women say, is that the acceptance of what their dysphoria is, is is what kind of gave them peace and helped them just ground themselves in the experience
1: oh yeah absolutely like um like there's nothing like a temptation for or was for me to like fully transition in a was like social and it's like that changed my name pronouns all those things but in a way that made me more dysphoric of having to like perform in a way um, it's like it's what I, I wanted, but I knew that wasn't me innately, and so I feel like I felt inauthentic and fake. Whereas if I'm just really changing my appearance and not changing my mannerisms, my interests, how I dress on day to day basis, I feel like I'm still me. I just it looks slightly a little bit different, so I'm okay with that.
0: In the uh, gender discourse, there seems to be this uh, false dichotomy between the sweet sensitive shy artistic kids and then the agps (laughs) um (laughs) like uh this is is the same category i'm sorry people but um yeah if you want to talk more about that because obviously that's the kid you were and um uh you're certainly today not the uh, adult villain agp that they (laughs) that they believe uh anyway but yeah if you want to talk more about
1: that yeah i'm not i'm not sure like how that i don't know i i have noticed that I'll, i tend to gravitate toward a lot of my male friends um are like the, the sensitive types and at least one of my friends came out to me and said that like he wished he was like female too Wished he was um i didn't explain to him agp uh, all that stuff because i feel like he was still kind of in the beginning stages i didn't want to like i don't know i feel like there's a lot of stigma against it right now and i feel like if you just put that on somebody they maybe kind of like push it away the idea initially and so, but but regarding sort of like the more sensitive types, I think that um, there seems to be a lot of if of H, if the person, if the male has HEP to a slight degree, you know, so I think that HEP could be like a spectrum. And some people don't agree with that. But what, what I mean by a spectrum is that everyone has sexual interest, right? They have one, two, three, four, five, and they have a hierarchy of which one they, they're, they're the highest preference and the ones who are less, they're less into and so if a male has AGP as maybe like their third or fourth interest, then they're not going to probably not decide to like medicalize or transition, but it could probably more like more like bleed through in like their artistic expression, maybe slightly the way they dress, they may wear like eyeliner or things like that. Um, you can think about like more like pop punk or like rock front men who have more like a feminine androgynous like presentation. And so, I think that um, if they're more of like a romantic type, they're not going to come across as like the "quote unquote" creepy AGPs. They're probably more quiet. They're probably more. Um, I categorize them as the romantic, intellectual, soft boy types, and um, I feel like a lot of trans people or trans women or boys who decide to transition who are quiet and sensitive um it's still the agp is still the driving force i believe um, because otherwise i'm not sure of what other reason why you would want to transition if that makes sense um i don't i don't i'm not i don't fully buy the the internalized misandry sense that society hates males therefore i'm a woman like there are a lot of guys out there who feel that way but they don't decide they wish they're a woman too um so there has to be some uh, reason why some a sect subsect of sub subset of boys wish they were become women so i think it's still the agp that's driving that
0: yeah yeah i, I completely agree with the spectrum i actually writing a, a, a sub stack about this um but yeah the the spectrum and like how how much of your sexuality is auto mm-hmm. so self-directed versus aloe externally directed and mm-hmm. so if it's you know just a little bit then it's going to be uh, it's like a, a fun thing that you indulge in occasionally but if it's basically entirely self-directed it's like mm-hmm. there's not much else you know that that you're going to want to do with it um and then uh uh but i, I something i've also kind of been, i've been a like an indie rock and um uh kind of post-punk and uh fan for you know on my adult life, uh, mm. certainly as a teenager as well, and uh, after learning about AGP, and I'm kind of like retroactively looking at all these um, all these musicians and going, it's probably not just natural femininity, or maybe some of it is there, but or being subversive about gender, but there's probably a lot of I, I think there is just something very. And someone else um, who's anonymous on Twitter uh, was saying this as well. He's a musician and autogynephilic and also thinks that there is a, some sort of overlap between that kind of art that, I don't know, really kind of cerebral and artistic and um, uh, creative and autogynephilia, uh, which is an interesting. Um, I, I think, I think, I suspect, ASD, which is a kind of a new concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wonder how much of that is is a factor in this as well. Um, that kind of can can explain both of those kind of personality traits. Um, uh, but yeah, that's just something that I've kind of been observing.
2: Yeah, we'll talk about the '80s as like the heyday of gender nonconformity in the gay lesbian community and pop culture, and they point to people like like Bowie or you know, there's a number of I don't know, Boy George, but we, when you talk about, well, maybe it was a heyday of visibility for AGP as well. Like heterosexual gender nonconformity was also very present in the '80s, but people get their feathers ruffled when you when you suggest that maybe some people, some of people's heroes from the '80s actually had AGP.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty common for an artist, like their sexuality is a driving force with a lot of their artistic expression, like romantically expressing longing for the beloved or ho- whoever. And if you have a slight AGP inclination, I think, again, that's going to like bleed through your artist- art- or artist- artistry. And so I don't think that the music- the musicians um, of like the 80s were probably like, AGP was like, their first highest thing they wanted was probably enough to where they felt more comfortable in a more androgynous feminine front man position role or dress or whatever so uh, I can relate to that so I actually was always drawn toward those types of artists um and I was really fascinated I think his name was uh Davey Havoc he was the frontman for uh, AFI um and I was just like really fascinated with his sort of like aesthetic since I was young so I, I always been kind of drawn toward those types of musicians
0: yeah my my experience in general is very uh very similar to you but obviously just in the opposite direction um -hmm. but yeah same thing it's just being absolutely kind of fascinated by you know androgyny in general and like like i was always drawn towards that in um uh uh, musicians and whatnot it's only been Mm -hmm. very quite recently that i've realized yeah um that that yeah that the description of AAP applies to me. It's kind of a controversial idea because a lot of people say it doesn't exist. I really don't really have any doubts anymore that it, that it exists, but it's um, but because it's not very uh, uh, sexual in nature in myself, um, it's it's difficult to. Uh, uh, identify as that but um once once we kind of take away that kind of uh intense like like again understanding this this experience as a fetish once you take that away it's like it makes so much more sense so much of this makes so much more sense and um, but people are really really reluctant to let go of that uh I just don't understand the impulse to um to demonize and vilify and think that's going to make all this go away uh it's just um uh, and it's just yeah kind of uh, insane to me
1: yeah it's um i think people go kind of crazy when there are at least aspects of their sexuality is being repressed like you you can't date who you want to date you can't you know be with who you want to be with and if you're auto attracted if you can't have that full expression of your personality then you know you probably won't act completely sane <laughs>
0: It's a good point. Yeah. And that's, I think, yeah. So the ones that have been re- repressing for, you know, <laughs> 40 years, um, it can kind of uh, manifest in really uh, outrageous and obnoxious behavior. So.
1: Yeah. And like, if, if you haven't dealt with that, when you like, I mean, <laughs> we all go through a phase like where we're kids and where we have like this rebellious phase and don't quite act rationally. And so if you repress this part of yourself, that's pretty integral, like your psycho, psychosexual nature, then I feel like you're going to kind of act like a, a child, so to speak, when you first accept it and kind of go kind of crazy with it. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of older AGPs who were you know, if they're married, they have kids, they transition with, in like in their 40s or 50s. They dress in the way that they wish they could dress when they were kids. And so I don't think it's, they're not like, you know, fetishically trying to like become like this little per- young girl or whatever. I just think that that's what they're attracted to when they are younger and they see girls and women, and so they haven't, they never experienced that. And so they, they're trying to experience what they've always wanted to experience. Making up for long t- lost time kind of thing. Yeah. yeah.
2: It seems like for some trans women, like who who take that step to transition, it seems like for some, that's also a form of repression because they're, they're not really, how do I, how do I, what do I mean by that? Because they're not necessarily living in their truth of their AGT that, that it's like they think well Mm -hmm. it's going to be more socially acceptable for me to just convince the world that i am a woman and so that's also a repression or denial of their reality
1: yeah for sure yeah i thought about that that
0: before that's a good point yeah
1: yeah and that's and i i think i've heard a lot of not a lot but i think i've heard from trans women who detransitioned who i suspect are agp and they're saying they became like dysphoric like socially about like having to perform femininity and they felt like freedom being a male again i think it was because like aaron was saying that they're repressing their agp like what's actually going on with them and if they were okay with being a male who want to be female and transition i feel like they would be okay with that and wouldn't feel a need to overcompensate with like i gotta always look hyper feminine just so i could pass and so yeah
2: Definitely, yeah. HSTS does that to some extent, and especially in the beginning, like trans people are known to be nuts when they first start to transition, like you know, mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. The trans men too, like that often become they perform it too much, like you know, it's it's an exaggerated version of the gender that, that you know the sex that they're trying to um, emulate. Yeah. And then uh, usually over time, that starts to soften and, and die down. But I think for the AG people who, who aren't necessarily mm-hmm. naturally eff- effeminate, as effeminate as gay men, I think that performance of femininity continues. Mm-hmm. Sort of what you're saying, right? I mean, they're not just relaxing into, this is just me, and I happen to be wearing a dress, but I'm not going to perform for everybody this whole new persona because that's exhausting and then mm-hmm. people pick up on that as an authentic it's not a great place to build relationships with other people
1: yeah it's like that common line become your most authentic self but you can't repress your authentic self too while trying to do that yeah. <laughs> so yeah
0: so um you said that you you date both men and women is that correct? Is that yeah. um okay, okay. So do you yeah. do you and it sounds like you had kind of from a young age had um kind of genuine attraction to to males as well. Mm-hmm. Do you do you do you consider yourself to be uh just kind of like regular bisexual or do you think that the attraction to men is you know the the, the AGP meta attraction or pseudo bisexuality is it is it predicated on you feeling like a woman in that scenario?
1: I think that um, just being involved with like sexologist circles, I had my doubts on whether or not bisexuality like genuinely existed in males. Um, But I mean, just from my experience, it feels like genuine attraction. Um, I haven't dated like, I mean, I have experienced like meta attraction in the before. Um, But as far as like actually being with men and dating them, I've only like dated like gay men. And so they aren't attracted, usually aren't attracted to pep- femininity. And so I I never been with someone who I came across presented in a womanly way. <laughs> um, so I've always been, um, yeah, I guess I'm just more, I, I, I identify as being bi. And so, yeah, that seems to be my experience.
0: So you've changed your mind then that there is a, a, a genuine uh, bisexuality in males well, then?
1: Well, see, like I thought, I thought there always was until I started reading the research, and like, well, these people know more than I do, so I, it definitely made me question. Because one thing about AGP that I heard Phil say in the interview was that, um, reading the research it gave him ideas he never considered certain things that might be attractive to him, and pseudo bisexuality was one that I never considered for myself before reading the literature, and there are actually a lot of things that I just never really crossed my mind like oh if i'm agp this would probably be exciting to me oh yeah you're right and so um there's just a lot of things about the psychology that um i'm still kind of learning about i guess um but as far as like bisexuality like my interest in men was like pretty like i said very vanilla male and like he had to be two intact males to do what i (laughs) so like that's yeah
2: (laughs)
0: Anything else we want to touch on? I,
1: I I mentioned earlier that like I was never really that interested in joining like the gender like discourse. But I really want to sort of um, um, speak not on behalf of Phil. He doesn't need me to like defend him or anything. But I just wanted to sort of at least um say that like like AGP definitely is like a thing. Um, and it's 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 okay. He was a, he was the very first person who I heard say like it's okay to be autogonophilic. And when you're in gender circles and you're a male and you're confused, then it's easy to hear about autogynophilia and initially think like this is, I relate to this, but then quickly hear that if you do relate to it, either you're delusional or you're wrong or you're just a really creepy individual and you shouldn't have AGP. And so a lot of AGPs, I think that they tend to think that or trying to convince themselves that they're actually hsts or homosexual transsexuals and that's i feel like um if more if there's more representation um then i feel like it would make it easier for this condition to be like obviously it's not normal <laughs> it's not typical it's a very bizarre bizarre uh phenomenon but it's it's if you're a good person like it's it's okay like be who you want to be uh, just understand yourself and be aware of like the um all of the uh, uh, consequences or things that go into certain life altering decisions so which some of which are, are permanent um for myself, um like I mentioned earlier, I do take hormone replacement therapy, but I'm also open to the possibility in the future where I may not I may not need that um, and that's why I think being aware of the psychology is like, Yes, I'm I'm doing what I need to do now at this point in my life to like be happy, content, and not depressed. But if I hold different in the future, I haven't like adopted this whole new identity, which I have to discard and start my life over again. Um, it's more of like I'm just trying being honest with yourself and trying to just, you know, manage your condition best way you can. So
0: Yep. No, I love that and yeah i do I, for the same reason you mentioned i do appreciate you being involved in the gender discourse just because of the um yeah because the, the more the more you know self possessed you know adults who can be honest about this condition that's only going to help for, you know help bring um other more vulnerable people out of the ideology right because because if you again you have that dichotomy of the 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 you know dangerous fetishist and then the, you know, poor, sweet, artistic, sensitive kid or the gay kid. And that these are two, like if, if a lot of these boys are being given basically those two options. And so I think a lot of them too are um, um, maybe even uh, pretending to be, uh, again, that inauthentic- inauthenticity Trying to make themselves be gay when they're not gay, or trying to make themselves be hyper feminine when they're not naturally hyper feminine, or trying trying to put themselves into these existing categories that are mostly fictitious categories. And uh, so, the more people who can tell the truth about, you know, what the experience is and how a healthy way to understand it and uh, integrate it uh, into your life, in and yeah, again, the cheap word is cheesy, but uh, yeah, in an authentic way. The you know the the quicker we solve this like societally, not just for individuals, but you know mm-hmm. this kind of societal quagmire we're all in is, I think, yeah, solved by the truth about the matter.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the um, sticking points for a lot of a certain subset generic critical folks is that they think that AGP is like again like like a personality. It's like a it's like if you're AGP, then you have to you are going to be these things. Um, and Lawrence did a really great video, and she mentioned um, the narcissistic personality disorder that may accompany certain autogonophiles. She was saying that during development, um, children need like a role model or a person to who they can see themselves in. When but when you're an autogonophilic, it's hard to identify with fully with your father and fully with your mother because, like, you want your you understand that you're male, but you also understand that your dad doesn't wish he was female. <laughs> and you can't fully identify with your mom because you know that she is not a male. And so you more often than not, APs do have like innate, like uh, typical male interest. So trying to reconcile that sort of persona with like, I like these male these traditionally masculine things, but I also like these traditionally like feminine things. So how can I reconcile those two? And so I think that there are more um, role models, I, I, I guess. Um, like if I was aware of AGP when I was like in my teen years and that all my favorite rock stars were AGP, I would have been a lot more confident, like, you know, wearing makeup or painting my nails when I was younger, because I, I didn't think that they had the same psychology as me. But um, I think that's when um, uh, this having more representation can reduce that narcissistic uh, rage, so to speak, because if they're aware of what's going on with them, then they're not going to hopefully not enforce their uh, like s- s- perceptions of self to be validated by external people. So, yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. It's interesting that the kind of the, that, that um, narcissism I think is probably something that's more caused than, than AGP is, is co- like, um I think narcissism is, um, or narcissistic personality disorder um, is, like kind of this rooted in this sense of um, uh, lack of a lack of worth, a lack of um, uh, mm-hmm. strong attachments to your immediate caregivers or your immediate family. Mm-hmm. So this really deep early onset sense of um, uh, just a lack of attachment, a, a sense of isolation. And I think um, so they, they then become their entire world and build this very defensive uh, mechanism around them. That is narcissism. And, um, but yeah, so I think, and Lawrence is right. And what you're saying is that, um, uh, that it's often that the, 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 AGP exists there first and the narcissism would be the result of, of trying and failing to, uh, to identify and, or, um, uh, yeah. And then also probably a sense of shame about the, uh, the AGP, um, as well. And that is probably why we see so many incredibly toxic and selfish, um, adult, uh, uh, onset agps
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, the higher percentage of narcissism amongst um those who were adopted or in foster care yep yep Mm
0: -hmm. makes complete sense yeah
1: yeah and i i i hope that in the future like clinicians are also more willing to learn about it too i watched that documentary uh, lost Boys that was released i think it was this past week or Mm -hmm. week before and I uh, just listening to like those guys' uh, stories, like I related <laughs> so much to like their experiences. But now we hear the um, psychologists talk about like I don't know. They're, mi- they're not-
0: misunderstanding <laughs> what they're hearing. That's <laughs> I mean, there's no polite way to say it. It's uh, I,
1: yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to call it, like mumbo jumbo because I, I don't want to like discredit anything. But like I will say that before I really understood what HGP was. I definitely went through that phase of like, I hate if I just learned to love myself as a male, I hate myself as a male because of X, Y, and Z, it's very deep psycho like analysis that I was trying to do on myself, which I think it's, it has its place for sure. But I think if you don't understand AGP in a very nuanced way, how it's applicable to the patient, then a lot of these things are very like ethereal, they don't quite they sound nice in psychology circles, but they don't quite translate that well into like, actual motivations. I think. <laughs> and so um, I feel like once clinicians are more on board with like, and Lawrence's work, Blanchard's work, uh, Phil's collection of like, Bailey. And so I, I think this, like, again, like, my, my therapist, she had never heard about AGP. And she was like, trying to convince me a lot of those things, like, well, maybe you just have, you're really trans, you just have like, internalized, like, Sandy or whatever and so we had good conversations trying to like trying to figure things out and i think that i might be atypical in the sense that uh, i'm maybe naturally more introspective than most uh males um you posted something on twitter uh aaron about the r-a-a-d-s-r test or mm, no, yeah, yeah, the, the I,
0: autism I, quotient yeah yeah
1: yeah I, I think you mentioned mentioned it on a podcast but i took it because like oh that makes a lot of sense because i live in my head all the time i'm very introspective so i assume that i must have been like autistic too but i took the test and i was like right at the threshold of like maybe being autistic yeah. and so um i definitely think that like um it definitely takes a certain type of personality who is willing to like uh under who wants to understand their psychology before making like life altering decisions. And I totally understand like male sexuality is very powerful in a sense that it's very, it can be very oppressive on the psyche and it can be very like it's all you think about until you can get what you want. And so the thing with AGP is that you, you have to understand like you'll never get what you actually want. And to make peace with that is the pretty much the only way to sort of like no, know, be at peace in life, I, I, would, I would say. Because like, you can never literally become female, but that's what you really want. And so I think that if you understand that, then you can kind of pit the male, your male sex drive and male desires in its proper place and not have it run wild or rampant in society where like, you have to call me she, her, I'm, I'm actual, like, it's like, I totally get it. It's a very strong fantasy to have. I, I totally sympathize with my, as Phil says, my kind. <laughs> and so, but uh, yeah, I, I think that if, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to like convert people. I don't like calling calling people out like, oh, oh, you're definitely AGP, whatever. I think if people are happy with their decision, then just let them be. Um, but I do think the information is really beneficial and needs to be out there for males who, who want to know about their situation. So
0: yeah, yeah completely agree. And it's, it's really kind of, kind of disheartening that so many of even the, the gender critical therapists um, don't know, don't really know what AGP is. They, they seem to think they know. And um, uh, I think, uh, so uh, I know Joe Burgo has certainly uh, opened his mind since that, uh, since that documentary uh, mm-hmm. was filmed anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think they're, they're oftentimes um, they, they they've, just like the parents, they've gotten into these gender critical discourse, like this, the gender critical sphere and learned to hate AGP before knowing what it is and before they actually understand it. Um, and so then they have to, they have to like kind of undo that programming themselves in order to, uh, to see the reality, um, for what it is because they, they're, um, and, uh, you know, Stella, who I admire immensely, is doing great work. She recently released a video where I think she's doing the exact same thing. Where where mm. she's basically saying, you know, there's the the, the shy, sweet, autistic kids that are autistic, and then there's the AGPs, and we got to figure out which. It's like uh, again, it's the it's the same group group kids, um, but um, uh, um, they they have to they really have to to, to undo that that initial because. There's basically the until until Phil and Phil Phil's book um there's a there or or yeah you got you got Bailey's book um but that's not really kind of um, I don't know but there's basically the the sexual the sex the sexology literature and then the feminist perspective on AGP and uh, this is not really accessible and this is just awful and way off the mark but uh, mm-hmm. yeah
1: I feel like Phil's work is a nice sort of bridge between because if I was like I read Anne Lawrence's work before I read um, any of Bailey's, and I don't have anything negative against Bailey, but just sort of maybe like the way he presents it in a way, <laughs> a little bit. I don't know if you're a, sen- a sensitive guy; it just kind of hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Yeah, and so I I appreciate it Anne Lawrence's work, and then Phil being just like, I'm really chill about it. I I appreciate like it it's sort of uh, lessened the blow, I guess, of Bailey like, it allowed me to. Read Bailey's work m- more mature, or I guess, seen for actually what, it, what what he was trying to say, you know. And so, I think Phil's work is really uh, important in that respect, for sure.
0: Yeah, because he, he made the good call of actually talking to his audience, like he like taught, addressing yeah. the population he's trying to uh, trying trying to reach, and that yeah, that's what's helpful.
2: I, I agree with just with what you're saying there, and that if if you have this sort of caricature in your mind of what AGP is, and you have this feeling of of hatred or disgust, then when you have somebody likable in front of you, it's going to be really hard for you to see AGP in them, right? Because these two things aren't going to mesh together. I mean, I had a, it's sort of an experience of that on Twitter where I, because there's rumors that certain pop stars of the past had AGP. So David Bowie is one, Prince is another. And so I mentioned them, as possibly having AGP and I do think that there's evidence for that in the biographies but um anyone who hates AGP but loves Bowie or Prince was absolutely angry like just viscerally angry that I that I tweeted that it was one of my probably my most uh, controversial tweet of all time was suggesting that these here people's heroes um, AGP and then, and then suddenly it became well no men are allowed to be men are allowed to, to be gender non-conforming or men are allowed to wear dresses doesn't mean they're AGP it's like well but then Phil wears a dress and you know it, 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 it's, it's it's so hypocritical and, and it, it, it's, it's these narratives that don't make sense because they're so, such emotional narratives not rational ones
1: yeah I actually think that a lot of women actually prefer Men who have a HGP to a slight degree, to, to the extent that it doesn't manifest in full blown like transsexualism. What I mean by that is because um I mentioned earlier about sort of like the softball intellectual type. Women, on average, I would say enjoy men who are intellectual, they enjoy men who are romantic, they men who can like who really appreciate femininity. And all those things tend to come across in like these. Bowie's and Brian Molko's and these, uh, prints and women find them like very attractive. And I think that, um, as so long as this income, it's not like AGP is like the male's like first and only choice. I think that AGP is actually not that it's good for men to have, but I think that it could be beneficial to, um, to connect with, um, certain women. I think women find that try because like, I've had women tell me that like, they really like me because they like my poetry. They like that I I write, I write music, that I am, t- am in touch with my feminine side or whatever. Um, And I've also had people tell me that like, they don't believe me that I'm AGP because I don't act like an AGP. <laughs> and so again, like it's the caricature you mentioned about like AGP, you think of like a middle-aged man who has a really old wig and they're invading women's spaces and things like that. So, but it's so much more expansive and nuanced than just that like caricature
0: i think um uh, a lot of women i think i was talking to you about this or maybe somebody else but um the the having a crush on like jareth or whatever his name was the goblin king right and frankenfurter from rocky horror picture show i mean this is a pretty typical straight girl experience like Mm -hmm. that's you know Mm -hmm. we know what we're looking at now but um like um but something else you were mentioning that um that that Having having AGP to a slight degree is probably yes could be uh, beneficial in a relationship with a woman and and, and she could appreciate that without, but uh, I think, and I'll agree with uh, like kind of how I originally thought of of AGP and, and I think I'm correct in this still, is that. Um, a lot of times, when uh, somebody has AGP to a full-blown uh, degree and they've internalized and adopted a, mm-hmm. a, a feminine, a female identity, like a like the real hardcore, you know, trans rights activists, those those AGPs, um, they that can actually be a detriment to their ability to relate with and understand women because they believe that they are one, and so they believe that their experience is the female experience, and it often very much is not at all. And so there's yeah. there's that counter to that
1: though yeah I 100% agree with that and it was actually really interesting because before I was aware of like the AGP like to the extent that I'm aware of it now like most people in the gender ideology I assumed that the way I felt was how actual women felt and it wasn't until I started after Phil's book I became aware of AAP and some of the AAP like memes on reddit and like, oh, all males are like excited to wear male underwear. I'm like, no, that's, <laughs> this must, this must be how women feel about APTs. And they were like, oh, this is very enlightening for me. The house it's right. totally different. <laughs> so it was very interesting to experience that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. See, more information on this is just win-win for, yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I think. Well, thank you so much for being here, uh, Gavin. It's been a great conversation.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me
2: it's been great to meet you you too thanks for joining us for this episode of the transparency podcast if you enjoy our content please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe if you'd like to make a donation follow the link to our paypal account on behalf of the gender dysphoria alliance thanks for your support